Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hey everybody, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, Doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I am glad to hear it, and I want to say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for this episode. We'll take care of our shout-outs right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C in Corners, capital P in Podcast, to save 10% off your order. Our other shout-out is uh, folks in eastern Kentucky are still rebuilding and could use your help because, you know, frankly, everyone's forgotten about them. So if you would like <clears throat> to contribute to those folks down there trying to get back on their feet, if you would like to be part of a campaign, go through Appalachian Apparel. They are located right there in the heart of everything going on, and they are doing good work. The other one, if you would like to find kind of a clearinghouse to refer you to places, I'm going to say go to Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot org, and you can find uh, through them places worth donating to. And with those taken care of, we go to Matt. Uh, that would be our shout-out to Orlando Cologne, as we do every week. Um, you know, it's almost Halloween, guys. It's the yeah. Halloween season. Orlando Cologne sent me an email. He wants you to all know that you can rush out right now, as of today. We're recording this on October 18th. You can rush out and get the Halloween buckets at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> my wife uh, my wife made it a calendar invite, sent it to me. Went out with, uh, with our daughter like at 5 p.m. and got got like a bucket well we only get the green get? one we i want all of them honestly but she are those only the, get the ones green from one. we were like kids like the yeah. yeah yeah they brought them back like as a as a gimmick for uh. um for like they're they're doing the pumpkin one the orange one the and green the one which I, yeah the green one which i think is supposed to be a witch and they're doing the ghost i did so, see um i did I see i did see um that fruit brute and yummy mummy were with the monster cereals this year I did not see Yummy Mummy, but I did see Fruit Brute, and I got some. And it's like that's the first time I actually ever had it. Except they've they usually every year they stock up on like Count Chocula, uh, what's the Booberry and Frankenberry. Yep. But I've never had I never had the Fruit Brute. Booberry so is the superior monster cereal. Uh, maybe because I like I like Fruit Brute, but it wasn't like spectacular. It it's just like, Yummy Mummy, isn't it? Uh, I don't know, because is Yummy Mummy, like, orange-flavored? Because Fruit Brute was supposed to be cherry-flavored. Oh, so no. Yummy Mummy was, Frank like... Frankenberry is strawberry. Right. Hmm. 
But uh, and by the way, fruit, just... fruit was basic like fruit assortment. Okay. But it's so, um I think uh, it's one of those things because of it's like limited because I think it was only it was like seventy seven is the only year that fruit fruit existed because for people that don't know when we were kids the monster cereals were a year round thing. And then Count Chocula was the only one you could get, and then they only brought it back. But Fruit Brute's one of those things that it was such a limited availability, it kind of built up this mythos. <laughs> it's kind of That's... like um, the Szechuan sauce that Rick and Morty like set up, and then like you heard the creators like they they McDonald's sent them like a huge jug of it, and they they did like some like live stream unveiling of it, and they tried it like man, we should have asked for something else. <laughs> um. So Fruit Brute is the only monster cereal that is uh, the grocery store I go to has in stock right now because all the others got cleared out. But, Matt, just as a a heads up, since you want to get all of the buckets, Mm -hmm. what I discovered today is that different locations have one of the three bucket types. Uh, I figured it was something like that, so my wife is probably going to go to a different one tomorrow, and <laughs> we're, like, committed to getting this. Well, my wife has, like, a whole – I should take a picture of it and send it to you guys. My wife has both uh, Halloween decorations that she puts out. Um, so, yeah. our, like, our – we have a – it's really, like, a dresser type of thing, but it's where our uh, TV actually sits. Uh, that's all completely decorated for Halloween – um, we have Halloween decorations, which we should have put outside, but we haven't yet. Um, and then we have a, we have another section which is decorated for Halloween. We have a whole section. Our, well, it's supposed to be a dining room table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's covered right now in uh, Dio de los Muertos. Um, yeah, we have stuff. a bunch. Of, ah. We have a bunch of Halloween stuff mixed with Day of the Dead stuff. Yeah. But um, okay. it's so funny. funny st- my wife again. Uh, my wife is uh, from San Antonio, so it's like it's kind of like that's a big thing in san antonio obviously but i like the aesthetics of the day of the dead stuff so i haven't seen the movie coco but everyone talks about it my wife watches that every year it's pretty good yeah i was gonna say um funny side story about mcdonald's when so last year i bought my parents house which is the house i grew up in and when we moved in i actually found a box with like all the mcdonald's and wendy's toys that i got when i was a kid so I oh, had wow. all of the um like the transformer ones, including the dinosaur oh, yeah. ones. Like I had those and I had a bunch of other stuff. I need to go through it again. Like a bunch of the Disney ones too. Hmm. Pretty cool. So all of this Halloween talk builds to the fact that yes, we are doing some Halloween content. Brad, what are we doing? So this is the start of actually probably a I'm going to say probably a six-month project for us. Um, So we're doing Dangerous Alliance era WCW. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing all of the pay-per-views from today's show, which is Halloween Havoc 91, I think, to Halloween Havoc 92. We're going to be doing the pay-per-views. We're going to be doing the Clash of the Champions shows. And we're going to be doing the debut episode of Saturday Night in 92. And we're probably going to do an episode... Bonus episode with like title changes that happened on TV at the time because I want to cover Ron Simmons winning the world title mm-hmm. in a show and it deserves its own. It really deserves its own episode. Yeah. So. It's something we've touched on before, but it's we we have an opportunity to go in depth with it here. Yeah. 
And um, so this is ni- this is a. Uh, this is this is Halloween Havoc 1991. Um, I am not going to give you guys any illusions to this is some amazing show, but uh, I think we all have some thoughts on it, and I think we have some variants in how much each of us enjoyed the show. I believe I, I believe we have variants at different points. Yes. Yeah. So this so, is um, what what uh, where was this at? Was this in Georgia? Was this Atlanta? No, this is Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes. This yes, because they talked about it during the Bobby Eaton match. This actually had a pretty decent crowd. This says it had 8,900 in attendance. That is a pretty good crowd. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, if... before we get into it, though, this is also my favorite era of WCW because Gary Michael Capetta is the ring announcer, mm-hmm. and he is the superior ring announcer, in my opinion. Versus who? Uh, Finkel, any of them really. He's my yeah, I favorite. I, I don't disagree. I do prefer. I actually, if, if I actually had to sit down right now and think about it, he probably is my favorite. Because I know some people like like modern uh, ring announcers, and it's like, look, no offense to him, uh, he's fine. But the whole yeah, <laughs> it's like shut up, shut up. I like it about yourself. I like the one lady that did NXT for a while. Is it JoJo? Is her name? Yeah, Bray's wife. I liked her. She was good. Um, I, you know, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial, and I'll probably get shit on. I actually, if you ask me who my second favorite was, the other than the um, he did WCW um, in the the late '90s, but Lillian Garcia is probably pretty high on my list. She wasn't bad. Lillian wasn't Garcia bad. did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a hard time over that one. People didn't like her at I, the time, and, and the further I've gotten away, I'm like, you know what? She was good at her job. Yeah. She was pretty good. I About Finkel, it's like I don't necessarily think he was a great announcer, but I did mention recently that he did one of those things that I really loved that I thought added drama to it. But he would always be – it's like they did some sort of screwy finish that you weren't sure what happened. He would always be like the, you're a winner, like pause – and no, and it's like you're like, oh no, there's a title change. Wow, like yeah. You would get all hyped up for it. So I thought that was like he would do when he would do that. That was pretty cool. But generally, I don't feel he was like a great announcer. I do love, I do love that little pause just for that mm-hmm. little half second of uncertainty. And then I have to admit, it also amuses me because anytime you hear somebody do a Finkel impression, they throw that little half second pause right in everything. <laughs> I remember there was the a Good Brothers interview where, uh, of course, they're doing this, so they're going to be cutting up with voices and that sort of stuff. And they go, <clears throat> and he's like, and so Finkel's not doing the ring announcing anymore, but he's handling the travel accommodations. He goes, you will be flying American Airlines. <laughs> and just putting <laughs> that little pause in everywhere. Um, Capetta's very good. I thought Lillian was good. Um I like Dave Penzer as well. You know, it, and I don't mind, is it, um, is it, uh, who's the, the AEW announcer? Is it? Just, oh, uh, Justin, Justin Roberts. Roberts, right? Justin I Roberts. Like I don't mind him. He's too uh, bland. Uh, he, he doesn't, I think he's fine. The lady that does um, Dark is better than him, in my opinion. 
I haven't watched Dasha? enough for, for her to stick what in she's my in head. commentary? Is it Dasha? I think so. Yeah, I think it is. She's better than him, in my opinion. And I will yeah, say, I also, prefer. for preference, I think Bruce Buffer is better than Michael Buffer. Well, well uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Far better. I agree. Brett, the hitman Clark. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, you mentioned yeah. the Good Brothers. Yep. Uh... Well, they have shirts on collarandelbow.com. <laughs> Collar they do. Um, but Good Brothers, uh, wasn't it? Uh, was it Carl Anderson was like, oh, we'll never return to the WWE. Yeah. For that, I have to play this. Hold on one second. Go for it. Oh, wait, sorry. The, my volume did not work all of a sudden. It's all right. Ah, it's still not working. Ah! I, uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, here we go. <laughs> is is anyone excited about them because i feel like i feel no. like they re- everyone got really sick of them during their aew work last year and that's why you didn't see them all this year in aew they're they're it's played out i think that they're i generally think that they're good workers and they're a good tag team but they, i they've had the same gimmick for a decade yeah i just now. i don't really care and they don't fit in WWE. That's the other problem they have. I will say that I hope that New Japan learned a very valuable lesson. I think they probably had already kind of learned the lesson. But it's like, yeah, if y'all had ever thought about, you know, working, he had reservations working with AEW because of bad history that was like from years ago when they an AEW started. And I don't let me think that the one executive that had issues is even there anymore. But if you had like concerns about AEW, maybe thought about working with WWE, I think you should have learned your lesson because you have one of the guys who is actually one of your current title holders that you had booked for a show. WWE is like, yeah, F you. Uh, We signed him. We don't care about your title. And we're booking him for the Saudi Arabia show on the same night that he allegedly is supposed to be, you know, fighting in Japan or whatever. I think I, I think the problem is is um, <clears throat> Vince still had some small trace of honor when it came to wrestling and stuff like that, and Triple H has no like morality at all when it comes to that stuff. Like I honestly think, I honestly like other than threatening them, AEW should have sued them for contract tampering because what they did according to like Alvarez and Meltzer is illegal. Potentially it depends upon what, uh, you know, what the actual conversations were. It, so, I mean, I doubt it would be like, there's way, and there's, it's, it's really, really shady. And I, I mean, it's, Andrade it, has been trying to like get fired as best he can. Yeah. And he's even just giving the game away where it's like, well, I can't, I'm not allowed to talk to Triple H, but my wife works there. So, you know, I can get communications to him. It's like, you're, he's obviously just saying anything he can so he can kind of like piss off Tony Khan to get fired. But yeah. About that, there's the last thing I'll say. Then we can move on to the pay per view. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. So I'm not going to sit back and take this fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> But Tony I mean, is, uh, I mean, he's, he 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 exists in the real sports world, and I think, I think he's made some mistakes when it comes to managing people. But I think Triple H is trying to push around the wrong, the wrong man on that one. Well, that's a, that is the thing about Tony Khan. Everyone thinks he's like just like rollover teddy bear, and you have idiots on Twitter 
laughing and mocking him because he like hugs people and it's like dude he runs two actual real sports franchises besides like you know being the owner and operator of aew that basically since day one has been almost like in the black uh despite being a startup like tony khan no like he can knows how to handle talent and yeah, reading, like in the sense of like actual like athletes and, and contracts and things of that nature. It, it's it's part of what I hate about modern internet and especially social media is they're doing that because he's rooting for people to succeed and they see that as weakness. Like him being like a good empathetic person that can divorce that from business for the most part. Like they see that as weakness for him being like a normal human being. And rooting right. for like his employees to succeed, like it's just the the narcissism and sociopathy that like TikTok and Twitter breed just astounds me. So, um, I, I I figure Khan is just kind of sitting back and not throwing bombs yet, because well, the, once Meltzer... you, once you open that once that genie's out of the bottle, things get real nasty. Well, Meltzer said essentially what Meltzer said what, once they did that. Tony Khan's like, no one gets out of their contracts anymore. Oh, yeah. So yeah. poison, poison the well. Yeah. So he um, he pre- they get pretty much turned into fuck around, find out where some of those guys could have gotten out, but once he figured out that's what happened, he's like, no, none of you, mm-hmm. none of you guys are are getting out of your deals. This is not working. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. We are on Halloween Havoc 91, and interestingly, one of the things, if you've heard of this show before, one of the things you may have heard of this show for actually kicks the show off. We get the show starting with um, the the infamous... Maybe nefarious, infamous, whatever term we want to use. Uh, the Chamber of Horrors match. Oh God! Can we can we just go over all the things wrong with this match on the surface? Hang on, let's it's get a buzz. It's let's get the the full list of participants uh, in this because they you look at this list of guys and with what you have in it. Um, so you have the heels are. Uh, Vader, Cactus Jack, Abdul the Butcher, and the Diamond Stud, basically Scott Hall, Pre-Razor, Ramon, versus Sting, El Gigante, and the Steiners. And you would look at this and go, you know what? I bet these guys could have a pretty, pretty awesome match. This was a curious level of talent in this match, <laughs> yeah. right? Like because, you're right, like because it protects the worst worker in this is El Gigante, and they protected him super well because he didn't have to do much. I I sent this to you guys via message, and I'm like, this may be the best El Gigante match I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and he was just like, you barely even saw him in it, but yeah. what you did see of him, he was just brawling. Yeah, and it's a but good it's like I, this is like I'm, not, I'm shocked that they didn't just have him do this type of thing in every match he had just yeah just be like this wild brawl but this is and here i am i have this note i have this in my notes matt i said gigante is bad even here 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, like you said, they just – they well, okay, the early part of the match, you have some kind of cool stuff going down until you don't. Well, and because – so the problem with this match is, is they kind of do like the Hell in the Cell style cage. Except mm-hmm. they don't really have a lot of room around the ring. They have a, about a person around the ring. But then there is the the chamber of horror that is in the middle of the ring with an electric chair in it. Um, because the, the purpose of the match is to get one of the other opposing members in the, in the chair and electrocute them. So this is essentially the same idea as the eye for an eye match. Oh, but, God. Yeah, but... So the problem is, though... The chamber is qu- the chamber of, of horror is quite large, so yeah. there's eight men in this cage, and they don't really have any fucking room to move around. Yeah, they don't have space to do anything once they lower the chamber into the ring. Yeah, my pet theory is that it's like, oh, it's Halloween Havoc. We we really need to have some we. We look at the people who are in this match, and we need to have some of these guys doing something in this match. You know, are, at this point, WCW is not going to have a mat, have a show that Sting and the Steiners and Vader and Cactus and Abdullah aren't going to be on. So and, my theory is that it's this this big gimmick match to to get everybody out there on the show and. Uh, not necessarily be a night off, but not have to be a huge deal for anybody. Uh, and yet, <laughs> they still found a way to goof that. And I will say, to the credit of this match, it's not a good match, but it was not as bad as it should have been. No. Um, I think the problem is that like the gimmick... The, the gimmick just was the, dumb. the way the gimmick was dumb, but also the way it the way it was like you you kind of like you hampered the match. Literally, if it was just the, like an eight man cage match, it would have been better. Yeah, mm. but it wasn't like you have this whole gimmick where it's like uh, someone has to go in this electric chair and be shocked. Yeah, it's like that's just dumb and unnecessary, and, then, and it hurts everything because everyone's got to working around to do that thing. And then they banana peel the ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that this could have just been a fun, silly little gimmick match if they had lopped somewhere between five to eight minutes off of it. Because there you go. You have everybody out there. They're throwing bombs. They're going crazy. They're hitting each other with, oddly enough, they get a decent amount of plunder going even in their restricted space. You've got all this wildness going on. And then if you did, if they didn't dick around and just went on into the finish as opposed to having a fair amount, five to ten minutes of, frankly, dead air going on, then I think they would have been, it would have been fine. It would have been a a fun, kind of dumb little gimmick that wouldn't even really be worth commenting on. But they didn't do that. They they let it drag. And maybe they were trying to fill time, because there is a, a lot of we'll get into it later, but there was an odd amount of stuff on this show. Yeah, this yeah. is this is something that I looking over the results. This show is emblematic of the era because it has the problem of they put way too much stuff on their cards, 
and then you get just stuck with filler because they're trying to get too many people on the shows. But I will yeah. say, I know this match is infamous, but it's not deserving of its infamy because it's not bad enough to really be that memorable. It's it's weird because you're right. It's like it's not bad enough to be like this is so bad that you remember it, but it's also like not good enough to really be memorable or exceptional. It, but it is it's just weird. Although I will say like I actually. You know how, like, back in the day, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, back in the day, like, they had video stores. It's yep. just, like, streaming services. Uh, they had video stores, and a local video store uh, was kind of, like, getting through some of its older stock to make room for, like, new videos or just getting rid of videos that people didn't really rent often enough. Yeah. And so when I, I got into wrestling uh, in the 90s, like, probably in, like, the, the mid to late 90s, uh, they were liquidating some of their their videos and some of their wrestling videos in particular, uh-huh. and I actually had the VHS version of this pay per view. Although the Turner um, home video, like, dramatically cut this. Oh, and they don't oh, do really? they didn't do the they didn't do the good like WWF like clip jobs on stuff. Like they they you would just get like part of the match and then like the screen would flip and you'd be like five minutes later. Like there was no pretense about like full Amio. This, that, the, the home video one, like literally cut out whole matches and it wasn't like, I mean, a a lot of the show, you could probably have cut it, but but they, an hour, a show that was like a, uh, almost three hours long. Like the video was probably like an hour and a half. Two wow. hours and, lucky. Yeah, and well, it it, it just got confusing because like there's one the, the one um the one segment that came up later on where uh, Missy Hyatt interviews Bobby Eaton about oh who's the who's the WCW Halloween Phantom like there that clip is in there so you have Bobby Eaton with a pumpkin yeah and Missy Hyatt's bothering him and he's like oh, I just won my match and it's like well what match. <laughs> I didn't see any match that you were in. You right. cut that out of the video. Wow, but, they cut that out uh, of the video? Yeah, it's wow. weird. Because that was like actually a weird. semi-important-ish match. Uh-huh. So anyway, they banana peel this. Um, Abdullah the Butcher ends up in the chair like Cactus Jack like backs into the switch and he gets electrocuted. And there's all this pyro and everything and Abby like bleeds does, and then he attacks the shake everyone. Yeah. And then he wakes up and goes ballistic on everybody and, after doing the shaky shake. Yeah. And it was not good. <laughs> that part was really dumb. I, did, I made a joke on the thing. I'm like, of course the black man gets electrocuted in this match. Oof. That, that, that's a venti oof right there. But, yeah. um, it, you know, the, uh, the other big failing of this match is that, frankly they take too long to get to the finish because the whole thing is supposed to be cactus is going for the switch to, to throw the switch and electrify the chair of torment or whatever. And it's supposed to be that they do this real quick switcheroo, but it takes so long to get someone set up for how the chair is supposed to work. That cactus basically has to stumble bum his way around like oh no i'm falling off the cage and then pull himself back oh look i'm reaching for him like he has to kill so much time because they have to switch places 
And then Rick has to reach behind Abby and pull the headpiece out and put that on him. And then he has to strap the one arm down. He has to strap the other arm. He has to step back and he has to shut the door. And then they can throw the switch. And I had forgotten about this little number, but apparently the switch fell early on and someone had to put it back up. <laughs> that's that's why, again, I, I, the gimmick really hurts because it's like you have to do things like that. Yeah. And I hate when like they, when they do that with, with any sort of outlandish gimmick match where it's like you have to work the entire match or you have to work the entire thing around the outlandish, outlandish gimmick or finish. And mm-hmm. I understand there are some gimmick matches that it's like, okay, the gimmick, like you, you have to focus on the gimmick match because that's really like where you're, you're drawing like the drama, the attention. If you're having a cage match, then it's like, yeah, like if it's escape the cage, then you're going to work the whole thing. Like, Oh, are they going to escape the cage? What are they going to do? If it's just like enclosed cage or something like that, uh, they've gotten kind of like bullshit with hell in the cell, but it's like, you would be like the cage is the weapon. The cage, like you use the cage, etc. Okay. I get it. But, Something outlandish like this, where it's like, oh, there's a second cage inside that houses that electric chair, which you gotta electrocute your opponent. It's like, come on, yeah, y'all doing like the most possible. This is that yeah. didn't need it. It it breaks it breaks um it breaks the cardinal rule I've said on this show multiple times, and I think Shad's come to agree with me is if you cannot explain the stipulation in a sentence, it's too complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the most complicated one for a an old-school gimmick match I've been able to come up with has honestly been a chain match. It's like you have two guys, you strap them together at the wrist, and the first one to win is the one that can hit four cor- four different corners uh, without being interrupted. And I would That's say, a long sentence for it, but and, you can still do it. And I would honestly say that the chain match concept is a little too convoluted in and of itself. Well, I mean, I'm going to take up for the chain match because that was one of my better ones that I had. But well, I mean, I mean, though, on on the scale of complexity, it's it's really pushing the boundaries because it's doing mm-hmm. two things. Whereas I think, but I mean, that's even like I think like the escape cage match rules are dumb because the, the escape ma- rules for a cage match are also too complicated. You can escape this way or that way, and if you're going to escape that way, then that means that someone has to open the cage door. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, is if you were doing escape rules, fine. But the door coming into it is what bugs me, because the door makes everything too convenient. That's that, And it also is an obvious opening for chicanery. Yeah. A match that's supposed to prevent chicanery. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also true. Um, so this this match could have benefited from a, a smaller block because then it, it just would have been a silly they should have just had the chair gimmick. in the ring i think having if the, if they did not have the cage and set the chair up somewhere else i think it would have worked a lot more easily and then you you could have added the wrinkle to say you know when when you throw the switch, you you can't see from where you are if who's in the chair when you throw the switch. So you got to make real sure that you got the right guy or something. Yeah, this it reminds me of um that stupid multi-layer one they did in '90, I think, maybe a little earlier. Oh, the 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 triple stage cage from yeah, Ready where, to Rumble. And like for the and, and the point 
Yeah, and the point of like progressing though was to get to like other levels of the cage and escape. But to for your team to actually progress, you had to put your team at a fucking massive disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. For however long it was and then sit there with your thumb up your ass because you can't do anything. Like it just it, it's shit like that. Like this is this this is like like I said it's it's not the Zarene of its infamy, but it's like vintage of like the dumb shit WCW was doing in this area. Yeah. The 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 three tier cage thing being in that oh god, being in that movie. God. Oh, I I you know about every other year I apologize to my brother for having him go and watch that movie with me when we were we were young. It's just like, you know what? I owe you an apology for you going to that with me and sitting through it. But then again, I went to Good Burger with you, so we're even. You know what? You know uh, this you know what this match feels like to me is that a TV executive came up with it because they thought it would look cool with no idea of like the mechanics of people trying to make it work. Yeah, that's I think that's a fair point. Um Okay. So we got through we you get through that. All the the only last thing I'll say is for some reason and maybe I it, it's just something that stood out to me. I don't know what was in the ring, but there were a bunch of guys with this black gunk all over their back that wasn't there when they came to the ring. So I'm not sure where it came from, but you see someone go to the corner and do something and they turn and they've got like this weird, like mottled black gunk all over their back and their shoulders. It's probably flame retardant for all the pyro they were going to use. You know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. And it didn't, that didn't occur to me. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, uh, after that, we go into a match that I think we we all kind of tentatively agreed. Why is this here? And boy, did we not know it was coming up for more boy. Why was this here? Yeah, um, this was the first thing that we have happen is they announce the the entrance of. By the way, they're coming through a set that has like tombstones with puns on them that would make Disney's Haunted Mansion cringe. We have the entrance of the creatures. Creature one and two. One is were, jumping Joey Mags. WCW creatures or I forget. No, they that just was the creatures. No, the the Halloween Phantom was the WCW Halloween Phantom. I I see. Yeah. So this is jumping Joey Mags, and I looked up who the other guy was, and now I can't remember who it was. But here they come, and the first thought that went through my mind is. For, they're wearing, like, black boots and then matching reptile print masks and, and tights. And then I was like, oh, we're having a mask jobber match on a pay-per-view? Yeah, that and was what I we thought. And then we had exactly what I thought. Like, yeah. And why did why they get entrances? Jobber match? Right? Yeah. That's – okay, if you've why? never listened why? to why? him. Why have a jobber match? Yeah. If you've never listened to him, look up K. Trevor Wilson's first comedy album because he has a whole bit – on the concept of the worst entrance you can have on a wrestling show. And it's the guy who's just standing in the ring. Cause you say, come into the ring now, right now for ever, how many pounds from somewhere in Japan, Yokozuna and his opponent already in the ring, Steve. And you know, that that's the worst entrance you can have. Cause nothing ever good, ever good comes of being Steve. Who's already in the ring. 
You know, you know, on AEW Elevation that they tape before Dynamite, the jobbers don't even get entrances. They just walk out with the refs. Really? And, yeah, just because they, they're trying to get through it and save time. So they don't even get entrances unless mm. they're like a feature, like unless they're like the wingmen or something. Oh, that that's that feels rough. Or like Sir Penico and um, Luther get entrances okay. but like your your jobbery jobbers don't get entrances <laughs> um but here the creatures get an entrance which is a shocker to start with and then as it turns out oh dear god brad i blame you because now we have to sit through big josh and pn news <laughs> and I, i'm just gonna say are we in fairness to PN News, ahead, he's a sorry. better rapper than Hit Row. <laughs> that that would not require much effort. <laughs> That's uh, a pretty low bar. <laughs> he gave he gave it a pretty PG uh, rap too, but it yeah. was like Vanilla Ice. Yeah. Yo uh, baby, yo baby, yo. It it, it was kind of low energy. Uh, by the <laughs> way, like I I think I think we're on like some sort of weird streak with. Uh, with Matt Bourne matches because I think that this is yet another Matt Bourne match with Big yeah. Josh. He didn't um he didn't wrestle on King of the Ring '93, but he was involved. He was yeah. involved. He was there. Yeah. So um, now I don't is... mind Big Josh. I mean, if you're gonna have a gimmick and you're gonna work, great. But he's supposed to be a lumberjack, Matt. I know yes. you were watching this here. Okay. Yes. Did yes. his yeah. he's did his to be a lumberjack? Did his axe have a name? I thought they called it by a name or something. Oh boy, I don't remember that. He just had an axe handle, um, but seems like the kind of thing that have a name. It, now I don't remember it having a name. The thing that gets me, I do remember one of his spots was if you're laying there in the ring, he would log roll you. He'd stand on your chest and go thump 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 and like do this kind of running stomp thing on your chest. And I'm and looking back, I'm just like ow 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 ow. Yeah. His okay. This match happens and the the first note that I made was PN News has an entire offense based around not moving. You know, I was thinking watching him that he's actually fairly mechanically competent, he's just too fat. He he can't he can't move no he he like knows you can tell he knows what he's supposed to be doing but he literally can't yeah do he it. just he just stays in place and it, you know people run into him and bounce off of him which i think was a darkwing duck joke uh, i i that was how that was Big Daddy's whole career in was that okay the UK. We should do a Big Daddy show just to torture you. Should, should we really? Could no, it's horrible. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and and you know we have. Well, we don't even have Matt Bourne doing it. Like the creatures have a lot of offense in this match, beating up Matt Bourne. Yeah, I don't. Big Josh. I don't. I don't understand why this got five minutes or why the the creatures got offense. This got this went way too long, and the job was like got too much. This is like it that. Made no sense to me. That 
this is like that Bam Bam Bigelow squash where like he was Italian stallion was giving him where he was taking offense from like Italian stallion. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it, it's kind of it's kind of fine if you're watching like a I guess like a WCW worldwide show like a match like it's but not on a pay-per-view. Do, I don't do you, I don't. Do you, I don't. I don't like long squashes though. Like it's. I will watch entire seasons worth of TV with squash matches. But the thing is, if it's an obvious jobber, just get to the point and kill them. Like that's you know don't don't waste my fucking time with like a six minute match with a guy that obviously has no even like hint of a chance of winning. Like if you want to go a little long with like Mike Jackson or like Rocky King, okay, I can, I can get behind that. But if it's like, if it's like, I don't know, um, Doug Vines, it's Doug Vines, just kill Doug Vines. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like if it's, if they're a low, if they're a low end jobber, just kill them. Like, don't, don't do this, like take offense from them and, Try to make it compelling. Like, no, just murder them. Like, do do what you're supposed to do. Brad, I appreciate how much work you went in, you went through there to come up with the most jobbery jobber you could think of to to kill. Well, I was gonna say Jim way. and Mac Jeffers, but then they actually pushed pushed them as the mod squad. So I was like, oh, I can't use them because they actually got pushed later. Yeah, but well, it would be like like late '90s WCW with Brad Armstrong. Ain't nothing happening, right? Yeah. It, well, even that really doesn't work because part of the ongoing story was, is he going to break the curse? And so he start, you know, anytime he would start getting his legs under him, you'd be like, oh, God, is this it? And it never was. But even th- there was still kind of a story in that. So that doesn't really work. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, the, the funny thing about about PN News is that he apparently like went and started wrestling in in Europe and had like a good career there. Yeah, he was like, like Gri- Cannonball Grizzly or something was his name. Yeah, right there. for like catch catch wrestling, which is the Auto Ones uh, or Vons like promotion. And I think later on, like he he lost some weight and really bulked up, like as a Maybe like a powerlift or something like that, because there's there's picks out there, and he looks like a beast. Like if if he was like a, you saw him like at an indie show or something nowadays. I mean now he's older, but I mean if it was just a guy, like a wrestler, you'd be like that dude's built. That dude's big. Wait 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 wait. Be getting a good push on the wrestling scene, indie wrestling. Scene. Wait wait back up back up. What was his name in Europe? Cannibal what was the name? Grizzly. That's kind of brilliant. Like, I kind of like that. It is a good name. Yeah. I actually like it, too. I mean, he was... He was actually probably a few years into his career at this point, right? Uh, Five-ish. No, four years. He debuted in early 87, so he's about five years in. Yeah. All I know is, you know, (laughs) 
you know who his, uh, his cousin was, legit cousin, shoot cousin. You did. You told me, and I just I forgot. Bruiser Messino, better known in America and the WWF as Mantar. Oh God, <laughs> Mantar. <laughs> I I want to reiterate. I there's a story that I we have a Mantar back. sighting. <laughs> there's a story that I heard from years back on a on a the fully actually they they follow us on Twitter. They're really nice guys. I've met them. The fully posable guys, uh, Jeff uh-huh. and Scott June. Like they told a story. Well, actually, it wasn't their story, but they had uh, Brian Breaker on their podcast one time. This is like going back a couple of years. And Brian Baker uh, Breaker told this story about how like he, because he he was a wrestler. Maybe he still does stuff, but he was at like a, I think he like was an extra for a WWE show. Um working as like a security guard uh you know fake security guard or something like that and he's like yeah there was like these two big dudes that were backstage they were like trying to get like a job and like i i looked at them and i'm like wow they look familiar but i, I couldn't quite place them and then after like the fact someone told him oh yeah like that's pn news and mantar <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> didn't, well it makes sense because they're actually cousins they probably hang out didn't, all the time didn't mantar work at joey janela's spring break a couple years ago he did He's like, in the clusterfuck, like, wasn't he? The, yeah, he was in the, like the cluster, one of the clusterfucks. Okay, yeah, that's what wow. I thought. I thought he had popped up somewhere recently. Yeah, well, recently uh, in like, la- by, like the last two, three years. Before yeah. COVID, I think. Yeah, but COVID, I think, uh, I think in they announced like February or March of next year, their California's ending COVID restrictions. So if they to the extent that they were still in place, like they should be gone by the time WrestleMania in in, uh, in California and Los Angeles actually comes up again hmm. in April. So I imagine like any indie shows could, you should be able to go full force, which I would hope would be since he's no longer really tethered to AEW. I would I would think that Janela could probably do another spring break. Yeah. So this this match is whatever. So let's let's move on to the next one. Yeah, uh, next match on the card is one that I, I actually had higher expectations for. Um, this was beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Terrence Taylor with Alexandria York from the York Foundation. I um I fucking hate that the the WWE like dubbed over fake Midnight Express music they use for them. <laughs> It is so yeah, dramatic. yeah. It it's just close enough to kind of remind you of the real thing and piss you off. And Terry Reynolds' laptop is laughably huge here. It is. It is a giant word processor. It's it's essentially also, a Commodore 64, I think, with the screen. It's also not on. No. no. Like, at one point, like the cameraman's like right behind her, and they did this whole thing where it's like, right, maybe not this match. It's a. Uh, the Ricky the, Morton. Later, yeah. Yeah, the, the Richard Morton. Badge, yeah. But yeah, the, the computer's not on. It's like, well, you could have the gimmick where at least, like, it's on. Like, you think she fucking knew how to use that thing? <laughs> yeah, probably not. I don't think it ever actually worked. They just found, somebody found this giant computer, portable computer, and were like, here, this is part of your gimmick. Punch keys on it, and the computer I, will spit out stuff. I think them. you still had the C-line prompt C line prompt boot windows in ninety one. 
but that, that's the thing. Like back in '91, like no one really knew computers, so it's no. like you could have just had the C line prompt. You could have just been like typing stuff, and if like if it hit you with like, long as you couldn't read the word error on the screen, you could be just be I typing mean, stuff in. And look, it's easy. Different. You you type dir slash w slash p and it fills up with directory with everything that's on the computer. You got a whole screen full of text and then you hit a button and there's more stuff. That's all you ever had to do. That was back in the day when if well that was back in the day when um your dad's um let's just say morally challenged friend would come over with a bunch of floppy disks of let's let's say um dubiously obtained video games. What do you mean, morally challenged friend? That was a bro, is what yeah. that was. And then you, 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 and that was back in the day where you would install it and hope to God it worked with whatever your setup was, because sometimes they just wouldn't work. Yeah, on the Commodores, you would put in the disk, type in the startup code with comma eight comma one to launch it, and then it would, it would basically the disk would spin up, and it you'd have about five minutes where it's copying everything from the disc into the RAM for the computer so that you can play it. So you could take the disc out unless it needed to read something else. And if you wanted to switch it, you better have 10 minutes. Or if it's older, it might be on a cassette and you have to rewind the damn thing when oh. you're done with it. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Ah, so, the early days of computing. Right. It, this Yeah, and like you said, this was a point in time when, when if you were to say, well, the computer tells you what to do, people have been like, all right, that makes sense. We'll do that. Computers run on pixie dust and magic. Yeah, um, because we had a computer in 1991, and I think maybe two people, other people I knew had computers. Yeah. So, yeah. So... We have this. We have this match happen, and one thing this is this is so oddball out of nowhere for me to note on, but over the years watching people, watching people wrestle, and especially folks with you know longer hair, and they come out to the ring and they have it pulled back, it always shakes loose at some point. It's always like okay, it's shaking loose. Now you pull the the ponytail holder out of it and you shake it loose. And you get this dynamic look. Terry Taylor's stuff is wired tight. It just stays right the hell put. You can't look uncouth. <laughs> well, that's hard to say because Richard Morton still has his glorious mullet. I mean, you, you, he's fucking rich. He doesn't have to do what the man says anymore. <laughs> well, so this match, this match, I was just perplexed by this match because the match is really good when Bobby Eaton's on offense. Yep. It's really fun. The crowd's really into it. But then when Terry Taylor goes on offense, it just kind of dies. And it's a 16-minute it's a match, and it really drove me up the wall because Terry Taylor really – he's just kind of killing time all the time. Like, he, it's a 16-minute match. He was in control for a lot of it. And I don't actually feel like he ever did anything that felt like he was trying to win the match. It felt like, well, like, I'm just going to put him in a headlock – or a sleeper because that'll kill 90 seconds. And then it just felt like he was killing time until Eaton's comebacks. Ross and Shivani kept trying to sell the narrative that he's wearing Eaton down and then pitching him out of the ring for the count out win. And they tried really hard, but that still seemed kind of weak. 
since you mentioned them, I'll just throw it out there. I thought, again, Ross and Shivani actually were great. I did too. Here's the, it's who. It's weird. This was a ninety-nine, a ninety-one pay-per-view, so it's just like a thirty-one-year-old pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and you can now turn on AEW on any given week today and hear Ross and Shivani. Mm-hmm. It's it's hilarious, but uh, they're great. I thought Jim Ross is back again. This is back when Jim Ross was good. I reiterate my assertion that Jim Ross actually went started going downhill during the attitude era in the late 90s like and people who love him uh, they think he's iconic because there's a lot of his wwe stuff uh from the late 90s in my opinion it's like no like late 80s early 90s wcw was like peak era jim ross but anyway like this this was a curious match because it was i feel technically proficient yeah and I would argue it's like I won't say good, but it was like it was fine. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't actively bad. It wasn't. It's it was a fine match, but it was curiously way too long. Like yeah. The second, excuse me, it's like the second longest match on the show. It's even longer than the dumb Chamber of Horrors. That the Chamber of Horrors like that weird gimmick match you don't want it to go like 30 minutes but no it was this was way too long and yeah. yeah it's like terry taylor like never really looked like he was about to like try to you know, put it away and i think it's because like i don't know he just got told it's a, like okay yeah this is a you're just gonna go out there and you're gonna lose but you need to kill some time and make bobby look good and it's like he he basically just took that. It's like, all right, I'm just going to go out there and do whatever. I'm not really going to act like I'm going to win because I know I'm not going to. Uh, but he just went out there and just went through the motions. And that didn't really do anything. Like, he didn't make Bobby look bad. Bobby looked pretty good here. As What's Bobby eating? Like, Bobby always looked good. Mm-hmm. But nothing was spectacular about this match. It was just kind of there. I have to give, um, you know, I have to give Eaton credit just from this uh from the angle that we had Eaton doing the Alabama jam like the flying leg drop is one of those that always looks like it could go uncomfortably wrong right and then when he drops it he just does it so super safely mm-hmm. that you know it, it looks great and it's like well on, you know, Bobby Eaton's one of the best. Um, he, he does a great Alabama jam, and there we go. And, you know, we get done with it, thankfully, because, like you guys, it was – it had such inconsistent pacing. Um, the next match on the card was – felt weird to me because – all right, what we have is we have Jimmy Garvin. No, no, Freeburg. Chad, Chad, say what? it right. I can't remember Jimmy Garvin's uh, moniker. Jimmy Jam Garvin, get it right. Jimmy Jam Garvin, Jam. all right. Jimmy Jam Garvin. The worst with, free bird, by the way. With Michael Hayes making their way to the ring to the iconic entrance music, Bad Street, Bad Street GA, Baddest Street in the U.S. of A. 
Which, by the way, is a fantastic theme song. I'm might sorry. be the best. <laughs> might be the best theme song sung by the actual wrestler ever. Yeah, that's yeah. I was getting ready to say, sung by Michael Hayes. It's actually ridiculously catchy. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> I don't. I generally don't have a, a good opinion of the WCW era Freebirds. No, I don't you know, either. Once, once they they're not really the Freebirds. They're like, they're like a version of the Freebirds. It's like your dollar store version even though it's like they're, they're, it's they're the coke zero show. free birds yes uh it's the diet it's a caffeine free diet it's the big <laughs> it's the big it's the big it's the big k free birds yeah. it's the diet big it's, k of the free birds is what it is <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh what, what's like the um walmart version of like dr pepper they always have like a oh um uh, dr thunder dr thunder <laughs> Diet caffeine free yes. Doctor Thunder version so, of the Freebirds. Doctor Dr. Pepper has like a million different like versions out there, and all the generic ones are called something weird. Yeah, Doctor Thunder. Yeah, it's it's the Freebirds in WCW are not great, and uh, in in WCCW, no, when it was uh, the RC Cola like Freebirds. Yeah, <laughs> um, they weren't great, but it's like I did love the Bad Street one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the theme song. It's just even when they had Terry Gordy, it just wasn't. I mean, Jimmy Garvin's not a freebird. No, no. It and it, he's up against Johnny B. Bad, managed by Teddy Long. Okay. So Brad, you were saying that Johnny B. Bad, managed by Teddy Long, is supposed to be a heel at this point. That was Matt saying that. Was that yeah. Matt? You were saying that? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, because you you were like, I think Johnny B. Bad, like Johnny B. Bad's like the face, right? And I'm like, no, like anytime early on, like when Mark Marrow, aka Johnny B. Bad, was with uh, Teddy Long, he started off as a heel in WCW. Hey, he didn't uh, heal it up at all here. Like, you know, he's green as no. shit, though. I think. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. He he yeah he started he was training from like ninety ninety one. Um, so he was like a, a year or less into the business. Yeah, and he's not really good like at it, this point. He wasn't good, but uh, he was. First off, he was trained by the Malenkos. Uh, so uh, looking at him, there's a lot of things. If you even if you watch this match, there's a lot of things like he's green, but he does that are kind of like mechanically good. That's a, that's really the story of like. WCW in this period, a lot of a lot of things you can see here in some of these workers. Very like, building. Yeah, but a lot of these guys are mechanically fine. Like even P and News, like he doesn't really do much of anything. But you could tell, like you can get glimpses where it's like, okay, like like he he knows how to move around the ring and like sell a little bit, things like that. And Johnny B. Bad, I thought was like fine doing that. But you're right, he wasn't like he wasn't really good yet. I did think he get a lot. He got a lot better. As time went on. Yeah, and this yeah. is also why I don't like the WCW era Freebirds, especially Jimmy Garvin in this era, because he he's a real asshole about putting bad over. Oh yeah, the, the Freebirds were were the faces in this, but they let's be realistic, like and they were just dicks. They're dicks here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean the finish of the match is like bad wins, but. Uh, but Jimmy Garvin has to put his foot in the ropes. The ref doesn't see it or ignores it. But it's like, that was unnecessary. You, But you had to do it. It's like, oh, well, I, I didn't really lose. It's like, no, you did. 
You did. That yeah. was your that was your role. That was your job for the night. But they would lay down with the guy, the rookie. Jimmy so Jimmy Garvin's notorious for that in this era. That kind so of, of of what we've got going on in this, there's a bunch of stuff happening is because the reason that I kept thinking that they're supposed to be heels Never mind. They come to the ring wearing Atlanta Brave stuff and doing the tomahawk and all that sort of thing. So, of course, that's popping big because this was during, like, the Braves like era of, of prominence in Major League Baseball. And I it think was this all is the start over, of it. Yeah. But it was no, all they, over all the Turner channels. Yeah, I was going to say that that is true. This is when, like, they were, like, the national team because they were on TBS. So they come out and they've got the Brave stuff. But – this match was supposed to be Michael Hayes versus Johnny B. Bad. Michael Hayes comes out with his right arm in a sling. He's like, well, he can't wrestle Johnny B. Bad because his arm's in a sling. Okay, fair enough. And they go there and they have the match, and Johnny B. Bad rolls to the outside. Michael Hayes pulls his arm out of the sling, does the biggest windup you've ever seen in your life, and right hands Johnny B. Bad in the face and throws him back in the ring. That felt like and a I heel move because I was like, oh, that's that's. A, that's, that's that's heel stuff. I was like, oh, that's some good like that. I was because because the thing I said like halfway through is like Michael Hayes is the most entertaining part of this match. But that's still a heel move. Yeah, it's it like, was making an injury. Yeah. Oh, it turns out I'm not really injured. I'm gonna hit you with what's supposed to be injured, and I don't even know if he ever puts the sling back on. Which no. is why I was thinking that the three birds were supposed to be the heels in this. Yeah, that's but that's where this, I was coming from too. It's this disjointed, uh, this disjointed Matt Garvin gets. There's a spot where Garvin gets just, I mean, com- stiffed out of his boots with a running forearm from Johnny B. Bad, and Garvin looks old as hell. By the way, oh he is, like, yeah he, he <laughs> over the hill would be being nice to him. Yeah, I and he even like left the wrestling business not long after this because he had a he had a match on i think maybe even against bad like in uh maybe 93 94 because i got the pay-per-view mm-hmm. and when it was like almost like it was like a surprise it was one of those weird things where wcw just like booked it when it's like he was i think bad was supposed to be wrestling like uh no, I think he's actually supposed to be wrestling Hayes and then yeah. like Jimmy Garvin. But like that in that match, like Jimmy Garvin like came out there and wrestled and it's like he was like had a shaved head or was close to balding and just looked middle aged and old. He did do it looks like he did like four to six months in the GWF until it closed after that Super Brawl match. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just looked it up. It was February 94 uh, at Super Bowl 4, where he replaced Michael Hayes against Johnny B. Bad. And I think they even mentioned the commentary that he was like, like, pretty much had left the business and was like working as a pilot. Hmm. So. This, I, I guess the point of this match was supposed to be about bad just being outmatched continuously, and then he pulls it out at the end. Yes. This was a mess. It this was. this this whole thing was a mess, and frankly, you're better off without it because it's too long you, too. You you have 
you have people who are very clearly playing, like very clearly playing both sides of the face heel coin, who are not working well together, like all this stuff. And then you just kind of get a finish out of nowhere, which initially I thought was an on the fly thing. I thought, well, this is a this is a we're calling it in the ring and getting out of here finish. But I don't even know. Like, this is just such a such a mess. I was glad to be done with it and go to the next match. Yes. So the next match is um, the TV title. That is um, Steve Austin with not Deborah. Against Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, uh, that was one of my initial thing. Like uh, Austin comes to the ring with Lady Blossom, I think was her name. Who was his real life wife at the time? Yeah, who's his wife? And I'll, the only the first thought that came to mind is, well, Steve Austin certainly has a type. She looks so. She looked almost kind of eerily similar to Deborah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It like, was kind of strange. And I'm, not, I'm not even talking about um, in the chestal regions. I mean, face-wise, she looked a lot like Deborah too. Uh, she's, a, she's a busty blonde woman, and she happens to look a lot like Deborah. Deborah. Like, like I'm saying, he's got a type. Yeah. And just for kicks, uh, Steve Austin's current wife, yeah, kind of fits the same mold. Looks a lot like... Uh, Looks a lot like Lady Blossom. Looks more like Lady Blossom than Deborah, but yeah, nah, not really. Like, well, maybe, kind of, but you know, yeah, Austin has <clears throat> a type. Um, so this was pretty decent of a match. This was pretty good, although again, it's confusing that this. I know, I understand that the, the WCW TV title had like this whole thing. Part of the gimmick was that oh, it's a time limited. They actually upped it. it. Used to be ten minutes. I think they upped it to fifteen at some point. Okay. Well, it made it. Okay. I, I mean, I, I get the gimmick. I know logically it made sense, but it still to me was like you're gonna have a fifteen minute time limit draw for this match, which was actually was a pretty good match. You're gonna have that when you have a sixteen minute match for Bobby Eaton and uh, Terry Taylor. Like, come on. Well, it made mm-hmm. it made sense in the '80s when you got jobbery squashes on most of TV. And so you do a TV title and then they could wrestle on the TV all the time and give away good matches, but time limit them at 10 minutes because, um, you know, it was a limited time limit. So it was a way to get like name level matches on TV without giving anything away. Mm -hmm. I, I actually watched this match with my wife. I was watching it like on the, t- the big TV, and my wife was there on the couch, like doing stuff. And she was like kind of passively, like sitting there, like glancing over. And she looks over at this, and she's like, she's like, "Huh, that guy looks like Cody." And I'm like, "Yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's his brother. They they share a father." She's like, "Oh wow, I thought I was wondering why. Like he looked like Cody." And it's like, "Yeah, that's his brother. His half yeah. brother." Yeah. So this and is then, um. Well, then I showed her also. I'm like, "Guess who the other guy is?" She's like, I don't know. Like, and she tried to watch, like, she was trying to get a good look at him. And they never really showed, like, a close up of his face, if, like, at the end. Yeah. yeah. Like, guess who he is? And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, that's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because he looked entirely different back when he was stunning Steve Austin. Yeah, he did. Wow. But, um, you can tell Austin's really green in this match. 
And um, Dustin's athleticism is crazy. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin, I think, was like 22. He was 21. They okay. say it in the commentary. Okay, yeah, he's he was super young, but god damn, he was good. He was good then. Well, he's like four-ish years in at this point, and he's already done like tours of Japan. I think he's already been in like all Japan once or twice at this point. Yeah. Austin uh, was maybe like two years in. Yeah, he'd done the USWA in like maybe 89, but I know in like 90, if you watch that yeah. stuff, he's on there a lot. And I, I feel he wasn't bad. Like he was, he was. No, he was pretty, just green. Yeah, he was just green. He was like pretty decent. Um, but he didn't really, I would say, start getting like good until like another year or so later. Yeah. But he was with the Hollywood Blondes. Yeah, he's he's fine. Like it's just he doesn't have the instinct yet. You can tell he kind of doesn't have the confidence, but like he's fine. Yeah. So the story of this match that I enjoyed is that Austin is very mat based and getting Dustin down and locking him down until Dustin squirms loose, gets on his feet and just clotheslines the hell off Austin. So Austin's trying to keep this big guy grounded and this big guy gets loose and just clocks him. Well, Austin's also trying to kill time to get to a time limit as well. Yeah. But I mean, we don't know that at the beginning. And then about four minutes remaining, they start getting frantic, and it it's fun. Yes, yeah, so. this actually reminded me a lot of the Luger-Tatanka time limit from King of the Ring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just with more athleticism. But yeah, this, uh, was, yeah. this was probably... I mean, it's fun. This was probably... Let's look here. It's probably my the second best match of the show uh, for me. Uh, let me look at the... It, worst, it's the third best match. I'd say it's the second best match. I would probably... I would probably agree with that. I'd probably agree. I think it's probably, like, the second best match. Um, and I don't think it was, like, a great match. It was just, like, okay. I don't... I mean, now, well, it might have been better than okay. Like, it was actually pretty good, actually. Because, again, I don't, like the time limit draw when you had like a 16 minute match yeah. like two matches before but it was good uh, i did think that ross's commentary here was really good because when you're like coming up on the time limit he really like amped up the emotion of like a, is dustin going to pull it out is austin going to like win this is he Austin going to survive like i thought it was it really built up quite well and it was nice um, um... It was nice having a a mid card title feel important. Like that's one thing I really appreciate here is the title felt important. Yeah. And it was the, I yeah. like this version of the TV title. That's a it's a nice looking belt. It is a nice looking belt. So then we go to the next match, and I have to say I've never felt bad for Kevin Nash as a human being before. But um, so this is this is Bill Kazemeyer versus Oz. And so, um, Kazemeyer is like a power lifter and I think he was a football player. And, um, when he walks out, you can just tell it's not going to be good because if you look at him, it's like, oh, he does not have the right kind of muscles to, to do this. He He is, he is very clearly not flexible. Yeah. And, um, he's not good. Like he, his body slams really bad. He does a knee lift that looks like shit. His headlock doesn't look like a headlock. And then he does a torture rack that's. It's terrible. Yes, those are all like I have all of those in my notes. 
his headlock is bad because his headlock is around basically around Nash's ocular bone or his orbital bone. And his scoop slam is really bad. His if if it had not his scoop slam damn near dumped Nash on his head. Um the crowd did not care. His torture act doesn't have any motion. He just gets him up there and stands there. Like this is this is bad. Bad. And, and and Nash is trying like his damnedest to get anything out of this because they do this they kind of do this really extended test of strength thing because Kazmaier doesn't know what else to do and Nash like tries to like show some personality and like get some fire going and it just doesn't work. And he's bumping really well off of the shitty offense. I was just like, man, dude, like I feel so bad for you right now. Like you're trying so hard and getting nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's It, it, it watching this, I was like, this is a wrestling school match. This is the kind of match you have in wrestling school, and you get done, you turn around, and the guys watch and go, okay, sit down. We got some stuff to talk about. This was this is really not good. This is this is my thing. When I see guys that are not good or green. I want to at least be able to see. I'm going to talk like I'm like a wrestler, <laughs> like you or Shaq. I want to at least be able to see that guys can be like competent mm-hmm. and know kind of what they're doing in their ring, or if they get lost, if they can kind of figure something out. And I didn't get that at all from Bill Kazmaier. And like there are points where like it seemed like Nash was just like, all right, well, I'm, like put you in the corner to do some stuff, and then you can like make a comeback, like. Casper like seemed lost doing that. He's like uh, he's unsure like what Nash was gonna do. And Nash was pretty green mm-hmm. at this point, but he knew enough that he could like like all right, let me just take over. Well, it and the thing is like Casmeyer was terrible, but like Nash, like you look at Nash at this point. I mean, you know it's Nash. But you're like, ah, eh, you know he's got something. Like I don't know what it is, but like there's some spark of like something there. Nash hasn't found his footing yet, and that that happens. It's not a big deal. He's only what a year in. I'm just confused as to whose idea this was. Well, why is it on pay per view? Why isn't this on a house show? Uh, well, yeah. There, why? There, there's a lot of stuff that was on this pay per view that should not have been. And I looked at like Kaz Meyer's results, and I, they hadn't worked with each other before this either, to even like try and like iron the kinks out. I, I don't understand who thought putting – because, Brad, what did you say? Had Kazmaier been working how long before this? Um, He had been in Stampede in, like, 86 and 87, but then he hadn't worked until they brought him in in, like, August, and he's done by, like, December. And he had been teaming with, like, Rick Steiner in, like, important matches going into this. And then he after this, this crap show, he, like, works house shows with Lex Luger in November. So why are they putting him in the ring with a guy who's just as green as he is? Who's leading this match? It's it's I think it's Nash, but this there was there was no way this was going to turn out well. No. And you know how bad it is when they get to the end of it. Jr.'s like, there we go, win for Bill Kazmaier. Next up on like he he ditches this immediately and never looks back. Yeah, the torture the, act. the torture act didn't even look did, like it, it hurt. 
No. Did did was it for this match where he was like he mentioned like oh it wasn't pretty or so, it wasn't it was he said something like that. I think it was this the, match. I, I think it was this match. Yeah. Which is like he he wasn't calling it bowling shoe bowling shoe okay, I can't talk bowling shoe ugly but that's what this was it was bad this should not have been like a four minute match it should have been like what the next match was which is yeah. like an hour like a minute. Yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about shitty outcomes and other people I felt sorry for on this show. Uh, Doug Summers deserved better than than this. Oh God! Doug oh Summers my God! Had success in other companies. He was yes. with AWA, where he formed like didn't they win the tech? The, the, yeah, they, they the were titles? they feuded with the the Midnight Rockers, aka the Rockers, aka Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Like, yeah. Uh, Doug Summers tag team partner with Playboy Buddy Rose who is much better than people give him credit for. People kind of forgotten about Buddy Rose. Well, I mean, he I mean, most of what we have of or of Portland earlier than like 85 is like his stuff that he was taking. Yeah. Um but yeah, so this is um this is Van Hammer who can't play his guitar, doesn't even try here. He is he very clearly can't <laughs> play his guitar like it is he does the most obvious things in the world to draw attention to the fact that he can't play that guitar yeah i'm mystified by this because you would think that you'd come out and you'd at least fake it a little bit put your hands fingers on the frets put your hands on the strings and just like move your hand real fast and then like hold the guitar but no he walks out and he's holding the guitar by the neck, and then he just he just holds it up and puts his fingers on like the bottom corner. He's like, "I have a guitar," and you're like, "No shit!" And it's it's bad, like and, just that entrance. And I have to I have bad. to give him credit for how bad he is. That this is a one minute and thirteen second match, and he he managed to drop Doug Summers on his head. And also, like, forgot to fall for, like, a tackle that Doug Summers tried to do on him. The first two sequences in this match, Van Hammer screws up. Like, the first two sequences that happened, Van Hammer screws them up. I didn't even write them down what they were. It, there was so much bad happening so well, fast. Well, I don't actually know that weird thing where, like, Doug Summers just kind of, like, shoulder tackled his ankles. I don't I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, a leapfrog or what he was going for, but it's obvious Van Hammer forgot and just didn't move. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is it, there, there are the, the first two things in the match he screws up. And then he damn near kills Summers with that awful slingshot suplex for the finish and when i say awful and damn near kill like i'm not exaggerating that is the worst slingshot suplex i've ever seen and summers just about lands right on top of his head it's, it's bad he's no tully blanchard the no. slingshot. bad <laughs> that is matt you have hit the understatement of the century and let's let's hammer is no tully blanchard. let's not forget that um Good old Big Bubba Rogers, and I've sent Matt and Shad a gif of this. He got a job staying with JCP because he took the slingshot suplex from Tully. That's how he got a job. And it, it looks great. Like if that if that slingshot suplex that Bubba took from Tully was you know uh, filet mignon on a plate, this is a burnt burger that they threw out at Wendy's. And maybe a cat peed on too. 
Well, I say throughout because usually at Wendy's, if you burn a burger, they just throw that into the chili to save, you know, for cost and that yeah. sort of stuff. If they, it's bad enough, they have to throw it away. It's it's bad, bad. Yeah. So let's uh, let's wash this crap out from our our mouths and go to something yeah. good. Um. So this is for the light heavyweight championship, which is the most generic looking belt they could have possibly done. Yeah, um, according to Jim Ross, it was a beautiful looking belt. No, it wasn't. I think they repurposed that for like like and made it look actually nice for the TV title when they upgraded it, but that's neither here nor there. So this is Richard Morton versus Flying Brian Pillman, and if you want to see why Ricky Morton is held in such high esteem, this is a great match to to see that. Yeah, this is very good. It's fast paced. Uh, well, Pillman stuff is. Ricky Morton actually switches it up. And is slowing Pillman down and working heel, and it's 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 good. It's and, not what you usually see Morton doing. And and this this shows though like how out of touch they were though because this was probably the most overmatch on the card because this was like a WCW NWA match and nothing else really was. So this was over. That's mm, yeah, it was over. It sure was. Also, Morton's promo was too short, but really good, too. Yeah. I don't even know why they had Terry Reynolds talking, because it's just like, just let him talk. He can he can do it. That's eh, all right. You know, she she's she's doing her gimmick. She's got to do a little bit. But this is the, this is actually one of the better Brian Pillman matches I've ever seen, because like Morton really knows how to keep him down to then let him fly and make yeah. it important. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's good. It really it's. it's I was actually pissed quantify. off when it ended. I, oh, yeah. Truthfully, I was like, what? This is over already. I'll be honest. I really liked the finish on this because you have um, Pillman. And this is this. This sounds weird to say, but Pillman wins with a surprise flying crossbody. Morton rolls back into the ring and turn and stumbles in a circle right into it. And it, it's, you know, it's good. It's a good finish. Um, yeah, this is a good match. It, that's, I mean, Morton's a good wrestler. I mean, yeah, he's, he's really good at his job. And this was before Pillman got hurt. So he's got, you know, his work boots on and all that good stuff. And I like that, you know, because I think you saw it in a couple other spots on the show, but, like, Morton's not pouting. He's doing a good job putting the younger guy over. Mm-hmm. Morton's a professional. Yep. So, um, then we go into, there had been talk the entire night of, who is the WCW Phantom? And Missy Hyde's like, well, I know who it is. And it's like, oh, I was wrong. And she's running around harassing people, trying. Do you know who the WCW Phantom is? And I'm like, no. I can't believe they no. let Bobby Eaton talk on this show. <laughs> yeah. She gets in his face. He's like, I just won my match. I don't. Why do I have a pumpkin? And walks away. He doesn't say the pumpkin part, but it would have been great I if don't, he did. I wish I, I. I wanted to know why I had a fucking pumpkin. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about? Because it's Halloween Havoc, and he's got a pumpkin. Can we talk about Missy Hyatt real quick before we we go into? Yeah. So, she is really good at being an idiot, and I think 
I think this is like what people should see about playing a dumb character is she shows just enough intelligence to rope you back in so then she can smack you in the face again with her stupidity. Like, she's just not yeah. outright stupid. Like, there's a self-awareness and cleverness to it because she needs to keep sucking you in so you can get pissed off at her stupidity. And um, she's really enjoyable in that role. Actually, yeah. I liked her better than Too Happy to Be There, Bischoff, and his Dracula cape. Oh, yeah. So my my takeaway on this was um, Missy Hyatt's uh, persona in and this this I'm tying this in with other stuff we've seen her do. Her persona is she comes off as dumb, but you can it, it seems to me we'll say that it seems to me she's it comes off just enough that she's you can tell she's kind of acting that way. So she's not really that dumb. She's just acting that way, which makes you hate hate her even more. Or maybe that's just when she's managing heels. I don't know, but I think I think it's a, I think it's a. She's supposed to be dumb, but you don't know where the stupidity and the play acting begin and end. Okay, my 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 takeaway for it was was that she was just just you know she's she's playing dumb, and you could just barely tell that she's playing dumb, but. I don't know. It's if if she's like lounging around backstage all night, like, oh, I'm so glad I don't. And then they're like, we're gonna cut to Missy Hyatt, and she's like, uh, I haven't found out who the Phantom is. And Bobby Eaton's walking by. She's like, do you know who the Phantom is? And he's like, what? what? And he walks away. She's like, no idea yet. And then it cuts, and she's like, all right, fine, whatever. Like <laughs> that that was not the story that was happening, but it would tickle me if it was. They've done that on other pay per views with her, where she's like trying to get some story, and it's her blundering, and it's always okay. entertaining. I think they did something. Did they do something, Matt? Do you remember like her and was it her and El Higante going on a date or something? I see that again. Didn't they do something where her and El Higante went on a date at one point? I don't remember. I didn't start watching it until like oh. mid ninety two when I was like a kid. So. Okay. Uh so so this is this is Tom Zink losing to the Halloween Phantom. Um Tom Zink just gets his ass beat in yep. this match. And oh, yeah. um, Tony kind of ruins it. So I don't I don't think that he ruined it, to be honest. Um, I, I I would agree. I don't think they he ruined it. If they had kept the mystery until you know, another show or TV, like yeah, maybe. But the fact that like literally like like a match or two later, like they they revealed who yeah. it was. So, I don't think it's ruined. Let's just let's just hit that all in one thing. So then Paul Heyman comes out later, and he's kind of ranting and raving, and um, the Halloween Phantom comes out. Oh, it's it's Heyman and it's 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 Heyman and Medusa. My bad. And then yeah. so he so they bring the Phantom out, and they unveil him, and it is Rick Rude, and you can't even hear half of what he says because the WWE like chainsaws in this <laughs> yes this replacement song that like blows your speakers out and you can't even hear anything because it is so fucking loud i was wondering if that was what was going on with that because it was the case like you can't hear rude 
like he's cutting a promo and it's actually pretty decent but it's like you just all you hear is the stupid theme music which is weird because they have his debut on the wwe youtube channel and the music's the original music because his original music's like a generic ripoff of something but so this this was an okay debut. It kind of fell a little flat with me, if I'm being honest. I don't. I, I did not love the the whole Phantom gimmick to bring him in. One, oh my God, his entrance as the Phantom and all that was just so damn cartoony. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind the tease for who it was and the reveal was fine. I don't know how Paul Heyman didn't blow his throat out. I did like how his stupid mustache was, like, poking through the mask. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they, 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 they should have got a – look, they could have got, like, a full mask. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you, don't, don't tell me you can't because, like, luchadors have, like, full masks. But you could have just had that where it, it did cover up his face. His Didn't the creatures mask. have full masks earlier in the night? Yes, they did. So – uh, it was funny because they hang a lampshade on it. Shivani goes, the only thing we know about him is he's got a mustache. <laughs> when they were looking at him during the match with Zinc. But this is this is the, the launching board. and He looks so this, much better with the buzz cut than the poodle hair in and, and WWE. Yeah. Because yeah. he it's looks a like... a sleek look. Well, he looks like... And I know WWE doesn't do that with their heels, but he looks like a fucking badass with like the buzz cut. Oh, yeah. He looks like some dude that if you look at him wrong in a bar, he's going to fucking tune you up just to prove a point. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if, if you heard stories like he Rude was like not not known to be a bad guy. He was actually known to be like a relatively nice guy uh, and was, I guess, considered with his fellow workers. He had a good reputation that way. But he was like he was said to be a deceptively strong dude. Well, he's like, he, he's um. He's from that crew in Minnesota that was like bar bouncing. It was like the Road Warriors, Darso, him and Henning. Yeah. He was like legit, like super strong. I think I had heard a story where he got into some sort of altercation or fight with someone. Not just like not like backstage per se, but like maybe he was a bar fight or something. But he like knocked a dude cold with like an open handed slap. Oh, he yeah, was just that strong. He was like and he it's deceptive because, I mean. He probably had some size, but he wasn't – it's not like you're going up in there with, like, one-man gang or somebody that's a big Bigelow. Some guys who's, like, clearly, like, a, a much larger human being. Yeah. Yeah. So he was – he had a more, like – he always had, like, a more, <clears throat> like, muscular but svelte look kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, it was slender to a certain extent. It was it was built but trim. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, and but he was that way. And I – I – it's sad to say, like, because he got injured. He got injured, like, a couple years into it. Like, I, he had that, that match with Shono, I think, in Japan. No, it was Sting. Sting did that dive. And they had, like... Oh, Sting. They had that... Yeah, because he's talked about it. Because it was okay, kind of... It's kind of dumb on Sting's part. So what happened is... They were in a ring on a stage above cement. And Sting did a dive on him. And he, like... They, like, hit the side of that and he fell weird. Uh-huh. And screwed his neck up. The sad thing oh. is, actually, he was got, he was training to come back and wrestle again when he died, because if yeah. you remember, like his last couple of months in WCW, he was starting to do stuff in the ring. Yeah. And they're yeah. starting to tease that he was going to wrestle again. But yeah, you can look it up. So like Sting comes off the thing and he like falls off the side of this like stage thing. 
Mm. Yeah, he never he never won like the world title, but did well. He won that the weird. He won the big. He won big gold. So I I he won the big gold, but they they weren't calling it big gold. It was the international. Yeah, it was weird. Um, It's big gold though. Yeah, I did like that they were kind of beginning to push him at points as like the main heel. Like he kind of deserved that. Like he should have been like a main event level heel, and he kind of kind of you know. He's a bad fit in WWE. Hand. He's a bad fit in WWE. Yeah, I'm waving my hand because it's like, uh, kind of mm-hmm. was pushed as the main event heel. Like he kind of was and kind of wasn't. But I mean, he if if he had stayed healthy and stayed with WCW, like he probably would have had like a good run yeah. in the title at some point. Because he was good. He was. I mean, let's not let's be realistic. Like Rude was talented. He's one of the. I had to stop and think because there, there was actually a – I just read a thread on Twitter like a day or two ago where people are like, who's the worst like, worker you've ever seen? And you know, people throw out stuff, which is like through this show we've seen a lot of old stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of like modern stuff. We watch a lot of content and people throwing out names that – Weren't like, bad. Not, not really deserved. You know who? Yeah. Out? And if you're not saying Chief J Strongbow, you you you're. <laughs> no one was saying that. I think probably he's too old. People told like, oh, Sergeant Slaughter wasn't wasn't good. I'm like, no. Bullshit. Like, yeah. No. Like I would not have said that back in the day, but certainly after like the last like year where we've seen more Slaughter matches, I'm like, oh my god, no. Was he was he not only not not he wasn't bad, he was actively like good to great at points. And I was thinking it's like. Again, there's only a maybe a handful of guys, maybe like four guys that I've seen pull like a good match against Warrior. Yeah, I wouldn't even say Warrior is like Warrior was worst. luggage level in my he opinion. He wasn't. He wasn't. I wouldn't even call Warrior as like you know so bad that his badness like is over. All time. His badness is overrated because you cannot. I do not care who you are. You cannot have a five-star match to your name and be completely shitty. Yeah, he wasn't great, but he had, like, incredible charisma. And, and he was luggage. There, you could carry him. Yes, there was. F- I, there are four people that I would say in the WWF slash WWE, like, pulled a good match, a good to great, even if you want to call it, like, three-star, four-star, five-star match, it was... Savage, obviously. Yeah. Hogan. Yep. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, because we reviewed like the whole Royal Rumble '91. Like that match was good. Mm-hmm. And Rude, like Rude, some yeah. One of those Rude matches, at least, was good. They're both like, good. Shit good. They're both good. So, wait, Matt, I have to go back to the thought exercise for a second. Was this the like the worst person who made it big, or the worst person you've seen in the ring? Uh. Really, it was styled as like worst worker you've seen, and yes, people were just people were just commenting where it's no like, people were just people wrong. Just, yeah, because like, the thing the thing is like even if you're going by just WWE, there are so many like half-ass trained guys. Like I would say if you said Mojo Rawley, I'd be like, okay, he's not the worst, but I can see why you think that. Oh, uh, he's Mojo Rawley's like not good. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you can't say Sergeant Slaughter when Baron Corbin exists. The 
if if you're gonna like the worst of we've I've ever seen is is I'm obviously gonna say Samson and the Irish Assassin. Yeah. Like oh. that that's oh, that's, that's that's not so an issue. Terrible. That's terrible magic I think I've ever seen. But like I'm thinking yeah. even WWE I'm thinking, okay, um Mantar, Giant Gonzalez, Vladimir okay. Kozlov. Giant Gonzalez I think would probably be a a, a really strong candidate to throw because it yeah. Okay, looking in fairness, looking at the tweet again I have in front of me. The okay. question is who are the most successful wrestlers that never had a great match? Um, most okay. successful, okay. In which case I would still say Sar- at throwing Sergeant Slaughter out there is ridiculous. Yeah, that's 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 horseshit. I actually one guy was like, I've never seen a good Ultimate Warrior match, which I had to like respond to that because again, it's like there's at least four workers who've had good to great matches with him. Uh, but I answered. I actually responded to this uh, tweet thread, and yeah, my again, I've said this before the podcast. It's not uh, a mystery, but I personally feel that Conan is like the guy. Like, I don't. <laughs> no, I've yeah, never. Yeah, I've never seen a good Conan match. I'd have to go back to like the when uh, when worlds collide pay per view to see. If that match he had with Peru Aguayo Senior is like actually any decent, because other than if it's not that, then I don't, I can't name you a good Conan match. Um, I would say Universo Dos Anjos is probably worse than uh, him. I've never seen him do anything even. I know Shad's thinking like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I've never, I've never seen him in a good match, but uh, I. I probably have only seen matches with him from like the last 20 years when I think 20 years ago he was like 50. Yeah. Um, Cause even Bill Moskras, I've seen him have good matches. That like that, that Conan disco match was, was pretty good. So I, I yeah, but that was all disco. I don't, agree with that but it, it, it like was look, it was pretty good it was it I was all disco it was, doing stuff though and conan was blown up from doing but, nothing but you're moving you're moving to goalposts now you said you never seen conan have a good match there's conan had a pretty good match like uh, let's but if i'm going to and and by earlier logic that meant that conan was able to be carried to that if disco was doing everything jimmy snooker i've never seen jimmy snooker have a good match <laughs> that's a great answer cuz yeah. i've ever seen a good match cuz even even those um he didn't do the splashes during the match but those matches were yeah. bad i've never seen snooker have a good match by the way oh I'm pedro sorry. morales i've never seen him have a good match granted a lot of his stuff's not on film but he's like People can shit on Bruno, but, like, you get Bruno when you, like, see him in context. Like, Pedro, I don't get. No, Bruno was actually good. It's just that Bruno, again, was part of that era where it's, like, he doesn't have to do a whole lot. Yeah. And he, he got he got over, like, on Charisma, and he could work. I mean, the, the whole, like, Subisco series we saw, like, he could work. Like, Bruno could work. And, like, even... at the tail end of his in-ring, in-ring career. Even someone that... I, isn't my favorite I've seen have decent matches like Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. Like some of his Memphis stuff's good. Um, that's the thing when people want to say that though is um, when you talk about those 70s and 80s guys, like you might think they suck, but you, like like I used to think Ron Garvin sucked ass until I realized yeah. like oh <laughs> he was just washed by the time I saw him. Like we watched that that match he had with Ric Flair where they were just stiffing the crap out of each other and that was good i was like yeah that 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 match was like oh 
Ron Garvin's good. He was just old. But, like, that's the thing when you talk about those 70s and 80s guys, though, is a lot of them, you're, you don't see the stuff of them when they are good, but there's also a lot of footage, and you might see some weird, like, you know, deep southern territory where they, they're, they like, they're in their environment, and they're doing these, like, awesome, like, bloodbath brawls that you wouldn't see, like in the bigger promotions and then you see that and you're like oh they don't suck or you might see him go to mid-south and bill watts bullies them into being good like you know there's just a lot of there's a lot of variance to the territory system where you can't re- it's really not fair to make those judgments even someone like kamala like kamala we saw him have like a couple of decent matches when he was young yeah and you also, I think it's unfair to judge workers from a past era by the current metric because you kind of have to look around and go, okay, remember when we were talking about like the Zabisco San Martino stuff, and like you look at that chair shot and you're like, oh, that that's not a good chair shot. Zabisco said in the interview, he goes, I would not throw a full chair shot like that because regardless of how it looked in the ring, that would tell everybody in the back that I was unprofessional and didn't know what I was doing. Like there's context to some of the ways that they work. If you want, like I would say you've got to quantify successful first. And if you can't quantify success, like if they worked in WWF, you'd say, is that successful? Cause they were on national TV. And then I would say, okay, uncle Elmer or Evod Sullivan for being on WCW. Like you, you got to be more clear on what quote unquote successful is. I would say sustained push in a decent sized promotion. All right. That's a good qualification. Uh, I'll add, I'm going to add two things. And I would say if it's territory, they had to have, to be successful, they had to be more than a one hit wonder unless they were an obvious homesteader. Okay. Uh, I'm going to add a couple things since you mentioned Ron Garvin. The Ron Garvin match against Greg Valentine in the WWF uh-huh. was like fantastic. The the Rumble one, the yes. submission match. Yeah. Um even though I I agree like Garvin was kind of like washed by that point. Uh and then looking at this this thread that I that again I we digressed on like it, people are just people are out of pocket. They don't, one guys commenting. Yeah. One guy's commenting like oh Jerry Lawler. I'm like what? You back your ass right to hell up. <laughs> you no, have never I'm, seen a Jerry Lawler match. No, because Lawler... Especially the ones from Memphis. Yeah, especially because, honestly, like, Lawler has an outside argument for GOAT status. Yeah. The, like, problem is, that... the problem is these guys have seen, like, pay-per-views, and they didn't even yeah. watch, like, the TV at the time, so they're making these, like, these wide opinions on guys that were either old by the time they got to the WWF or seeing like a handful of like dumbass mid nineties matches and drawing conclusions on them. Yeah. Yeah. The, you've got to have a comprehensive body if you're going to bury somebody like that. And yeah, because watch, watch, watch that first Tupelo concession stand brawl. And even tell me the honky tonk man's bad. <laughs> I don't think I I would ever make that uh, that argument because Anki was so good at being a heel for so long. But all right, does it, are we going to take this to our next match? Yeah. All right. Um, the next match we had on the card was 
the United States tag title holders, the Patriots, Firebreaker Chip and Chris Champion versus not is it Chris Champion or Todd Champion? Todd Champion. Chris Todd Champion's Champion, a much sorry. smaller, much smaller man. I knew it was wrong when it left my mouth, but I had to check. Versus the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, the Enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko. So this this is kind of to me a tale of two matches. So when Todd Champion's in there, it's a pretty good match because Todd yep. Champion's confident. When Firebreaker chips in there, it is Larry Zbysko and Arn Anderson desperately trying to make him not look. They like are he sucks. they are Zbysko and Anderson are spoon feeding Chip. They are fighting for their life <laughs> and trying a good match out of yeah Chip. Because Todd uh, Champion's actually, I was watching like, you know, like Todd Champion's pretty decent. I am shocked that he never really did more. No. Uh, and tr- true story, back because he like, I started watching wrestling in '92, which is I think kind of like mostly when he was like heading out of the promotion. But he did come back for a period like a, a year or two later. And true story, when he came back. And he, he wrestled a few matches in, in WCW. I thought that he was the Patriot just without a mask. Oh. <laughs> I thought he was Dale Wilkes. <laughs> they had a similar, like, build. Okay. Um, now, he did, he did to Todd Champion's credit, he is a he is a former USWA Unified World Champion. But, I mean, I think I won that belt three times, and I don't think I ever wrestled, so... And I think Shad won it about 12 times, so. <laughs> won it one week, lost it the next week, won it one week. <laughs> I didn't I think, have it long enough to get a picture with it. I think, problem. I think I I think I fell asleep one night and I lost it three times and won it back three times, so. Yeah. I, I didn't have it long enough to get pictures with it. But. Yeah. I think I've seen so, the n- number actually go up looking on my Wikipedia page, so there's <laughs> that. So one of the – here's the thing. This this match, like you said, it's split in half. But the thing is, even it, even with it having that kind of dichotomy in it, I loved watching it. Larry Zabisco is in great shape for this match. Anderson and Zabisco yeah. do some stuff that just warms the cockles of my tag team love and heart. You mean and Larry there's... Larry running like a little bitch so he can sneak attack him when he gets back in the ring? Well, Larry, like, there's a thing where Larry takes off around the ring, and I think Champion's chasing. It, it doesn't yeah, even matter champion. who it is. Champion, Larry rolls in, hops up, tags Arn, and then goes to hit the far ropes. Champion rolls in and goes after him, and Arn just very, very quietly, and the ref saw the tag, steps through the ropes behind Champion and starts to kill him. And they do that repeatedly. He he takes Larry up for like a back suplex. Larry leans back and tags Arn in again, like them doing that stuff was god in my veins please i loved it like that was one of the first things i remember seeing from a wrestling match is someone goes shoots larry off larry hits the ropes he's got his arm up on the ropes like you're supposed to do in case the rope breaks but where he extended it he reached out tagged arm he comes off the other the, the rope on the other side the guy's there larry like rolls to the side or something when he turns around to see him arm just ddt's him for the win like this is that kind of stuff, and I 
maybe I'm being selfish, but I want more of the Enforcers Arn Anderson Larry Zabisco tag team. Well, we'll get some as this goes. Oh, I love it. But, and um, they have the KG veteran win for the finish who, where there's no question that they won. Who did a chip almost body slam onto their head? Was that Arn or was that Larry? I think it was Arn. I think it was uh, Arn too. If I can, since you want more uh, of the Enforcers tag team. Yeah. I will. I will mention again. I know we're digressing a lot, but the the next WCW big time show, which is Clash of the Champions, yeah, like a, a month after this, maybe it probably less than that. That's the infamous uh, tag title change where they lose the tag titles to Dustin Rhodes and surprise partner Ricky Steamboat. Ah, okay. Because they, they had um, that was part of the angle to the show is Barry Windham had gotten attacked. Yes. And thrown through a, a, a glass door. No. Well, no. Like, right at the beginning of this pay-per-view, uh, he was getting out of the car. He was driving the car. Oh, that's right. And they right. rushed in. And they, like, held one of the, I think Larry held his arm. And then Arn, like. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, Slammed the door on it. Yeah, right. Slammed the door on it. So he's supposed to have, like, a shoot, like, broken forearm. Oh, you know, like for that. some reason I thought it happened off screen. And that, the second you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did see that. Like, sorry. Yeah. And this, that. I only bring up the whole Clash of the Champions uh, match because I was Ricky Steamboat obviously coming back into the promotion, but there was an there's an awesome moment. It's a great match. It's a legit great match, but it's an awesome moment because like Ricky Steamboat comes in there and he's like kicking the shit out of everyone, and Arn gets like so f- like flustered, and he gets out of the ring and they the camera is like right up in his face. He's like talking to Larry. And he's like he's just a man. He's just a man. And it's like he tried to psych himself into thinking that Steamboat is just like a dude that he can beat. And it's like, no, man, it's Ricky Steamboat. It's one of the best of all time. <laughs> he's kicking the shit out of you. And it's yep. such a moment. It's like it's it, it makes like this awesome match look even better. So, yeah. Yeah. So do we want to this we, match? This oh. match I thought was OK. Yeah, it was OK. It, it was it was towards the top of the, the show. So then, yes, that, that's fair. We're going to head to the main event. So this is a two out of three falls match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This is Lex Luger with Harley Race, with Ron Simmons, with Dusty in his corner. Mm-hmm. Let me just add, uh, before we talk about the match itself, I absolutely hated Dusty Rhodes being in Ron Simmons because they were too yes. much fucking focus. Sorry for cursing so much focus on dusty Rhodes. it's like no this isn't the dusty Rhodes show yeah, dusty yeah. basically retired at this point from entering it's like it's ron simmons like you're pushing ron simmons kind of as like potentially as one of the main faces enough enough with dusty they focus so damn much and like dusty. carly race i feel like had a problem with getting his clients over when he was a manager but he stays out of the way yeah, he 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 heals. He like interjects himself when he needs to. Uh, he was fine. I thought he was fine as a manager. Yeah. So so this is um, I I don't know how I feel about this match honestly. So first of all, Simmons essentially just runs Luger over and pins mm-hmm. him off of a power. Was it a power slam? Spinebuster. Spinebuster. That's right. Um, I, I could visualize it, but I'm like, wait a minute, was that, you know, so he gets that win pretty quick. Um, and then they, they get one minute rest periods between, so then they come back in and this is pretty much 
Ron's taking it to Luger and Luger's trying to survive. And now I had a problem with the, the ending on the second fall. So the second fall, um, Luger goes to like knock him out of the ropes and yeah. race comes up and he kind of grabs Simmons. So then Luger kind of helplessly falls, like kind of goes over him and goes over the top rope. And so then he, Ron Simmons gets disqualified for, for, throwing him over the top rope but the problem i have with this is on the replay nick patrick should have been able to see have seen what happened the way he was positioned and this is a problem i had with this whole match with nick patrick is he's positioned horribly for most of this match like he's always out of position he's always doing weird stuff like there's a there's a backslide where he he like almost jumps on top of both of them and he's counting and i i don't see how he could have seen if someone's shoulders were on the mat because he was so yeah. close to them like, he was just weirdly out of position all match, and it was driving me nuts. Which reminds me that there this this had the um, the gimmick. This show had the gimmick of the referee cam. Oh, I hated that. It was terrible. Which I, I – on one hand, I – like, okay, that's a cool thing to try and everything. But the problem is that the damn thing had a fisheye lens. Yeah. So it didn't translate at all, and I'm like, oh, oh god. Um, it just it just took you out of whatever you're watching. It, it just it just did not did not work, and like I appreciate them trying it. I appreciate them looking at it and being like, okay, let's let's you know get a you, we're gonna try this and see how it works. Maybe okay, do that cool. on like main event or something though. But, experiment. you know, it's it's um, in any event, it, it there was there was a bunch of stuff in this match that um, like there was stuff that just didn't come together. That second fall, it, it seems like that was an idea that just didn't didn't coalesce right. The finish was super wonky. Yeah, I, I like the finish of the second ball. No, um, it, it, the, I didn't like how it came about because it was just starting to get good and they did that. And I was like, oh, come on, guys. Like, you just killed all the momentum. Now, for what it's worth, it, the story as the match went on, I actually really liked because um, we had a uh, we had this thing where Ron Simmons offense is about basically slamming Lex Luger on the mat over and over again. So the story is it's about, you know, Luger's back being jacked up. Okay. If it's about Luger's back being jacked up and Ron Simmons does power slams and spine busters and stuff, that's great. Like that's fantastic. And Luger is selling this. I thought really well. No, I thought this was actually a really good Luger performance. If I'm going to pick on the announcers for anything, it's during this match. God, Jim Ross, please shut the hell up about football, please. Yeah, he was. I I do not give a shit. He did. I I appreciated some of it because I, I went out and did some side research because I didn't realize how far back like Lex and Ron actually go. Yeah. And like I appreciated him talking about like how like. No, you know, 
you might think this is like you know a one-off challenge but these guys go back to like the usfl and they they go back to miami and you know luger played offensive line and and simmons played defensive line and like that helped establish an oh these guys have history yeah with each other but they just kept talking about um I just kept talking about football stuff, and I'm like, stop it. Just please stop it. I don't – can I? Can we have the wrestling match? I, if I wanted football, then I, I have that option available to me. I don't want more football. Like, can, can we talk – like, background, that's fine, but please, please, can we have something else? That's, that's just the Jim Ross thing. Jim Ross is like I know. obsessed with college football. Yeah. I well, that's that. – I actually did like the the backstory. Like I think it added a lot to the match, but I get what you're saying where it's like, okay, and, and you've established it, like move on. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. But I also and, didn't realize because I looked up some shoot stuff. I didn't realize um Simmons actually credits Luger with getting him into wrestling. Oh really? Yeah, because I did not know that. Because I guess when the USFO ended, like he didn't have anything to do, and Luger was going into that and talked him into to trying it out. Huh. Like I said, they they legitimately go. Because Luger was talking about the first time he ever like saw Simmons. He's like, oh yeah, we were playing them in football, and like I like the guy next to me was the one that was supposed to block him, and he was like this 240 pound guy, and he was just scared shitless of him. Yeah. Because he was like, even back then, like, he was this giant ass dude with, like, these big ass arms and, like, his veins popping and everything. And it was just like, this guy was just scared of him. If I could just briefly talk about, like, I know uh, Mark Henry has talked about, he's told stories about Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. And he, because they used to ride together back when they were, like, Nation of Domination. Um, yeah. Mark Henry's still learning. He's green. He's the rookie. So, and <laughs> him and Ron, like, ride together, like, out together and good naturedly he tells a story where he'd like he's like ron would like so impress him he'd like ron would just basically go in there he don't he all i i feel like he may have told the story where he's like ron would just go in there with like street clothes like <laughs> not even like workout clothes he would go in there he would go in there he put like like some crazy level of weight on the bench go out there do like a set like put it back just sit there on like the bench, take out his comb, his hair pick, comb his afro, <laughs> put it back, <laughs> do another set. And when he's done, he's like, "All right, man, let's go." <laughs> like that's that sounds like such a cool, like cold thing. It's like this dude just like he it effortlessly. Like he said, Ron Simmons would just like as as strong as Mark Henry is. Like he said, Ron would just like pound it out. It um. um he has my favorite when they did those WWE like cartoons mm-hmm. of like them talking and they'd animate it. And it's him talking about working with Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. And he's like talking about all the crazy shit like Mick Foley wanted to do. And he's like, no, we will not be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find that. I think it, I saw it once, but I yeah. want to find it again. So the, the final fall of this, is Simmons has basically been beating Luger pillar to post most of the match. And then at the end, I actually really liked the the go home spot. 
Luger sold being vulnerable really well in this, by the way. He did. He he busted hard way. He's selling really well. He's being vulnerable. And then on the outside, like Simmons is just mowing him down. And Simmons, I think, went to three-point stance him, and Luger moves, and Simmons just runs himself right into the ring post. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Luger capitalizes immediately by throw, throwing uh, uh, Simmons back to the ring. It's his finisher, which is just a pile driver, but he called it the attitude adjustment. And got the... the deciding fall on the two out of three falls match i love that there's no wasted time there's no wasted motion there's no looking around with the eyes wide and the mouth open the hands out to the side like <gasps> it's just luger's just like nope doing this now pile driver let's get done let's go home no because that was part of like the story though is luger's just desperate to get any kind of traction yeah against simmons <laughs> what is and, your overall your guys overall thoughts of this match um, I thought, I thought the first six minutes kind of were eh, and then I thought it progressively got better as it went. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was anything special. It's okay. So I, I don't think that this is like, oh, it's an all timer, but I actually really, really like this match. I thought that this was not only a good match, it showed, it really presented Simmons as a potential big babyface, mm-hmm. which WCW didn't really actualize on. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But this, I felt, was one of the better, more nuanced Lex Luger performances I've ever seen. I will agree because... with that. This is something, this is for someone that says Luger can't work, like show them this. Yeah, like because I felt like because Ron Simmons won the first fall with the spine buster. And then it's from that on. It's it, it's like a, it's just like a 20, 25 minute match or so like and uh, Simmons won the first fall in like the first five minutes. It was mm-hmm. then like 10 minutes or so of Luger selling the back and mm-hmm. acting increasingly more desperate. Where it's like he knew that he was in trouble. Like Ron Simmons, like almost like grievously injured him. Like he he messed up his back. Like he was in real trouble. He prison. He he was acting vulnerable. Simmons like had his number. Like it 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 and he conveyed this both with body language and just the way he was acting. Mm-hmm. It was really really good. Really good. Yeah. It's it's like. Again, it's one of the more nuanced performances I've seen by Luger of all time, and it was very clever. It was well done. Like he really sold everything, and it was great. And I did think that the finish, I, the second fall, is not great like no. that. But the the uh, he also does a whole... good job between the rest period, just selling total dejection. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's if... like kneeling down, and he's like not really moving from that he's just like leaning against the ropes like he's just like eaten because because the one thing i thought was clever about the second fall is it was kind of dumb but like it also added the match that that they they won that on a technicality but luger still pretty much got chucked over the top rope mm-hmm. and took like all the damage and like simmons is still fresh he just got screwed like so yeah it's evened up but he didn't get anything out of it like yeah as far as damage I like the way you refer to it as a nuanced Luger performance because if I was training someone, I'd say, you okay, 
Do you want an idea on how to act as a heel who's working from underneath? You watch this. Luger was very was obviously he's the he's the heavyweight champion. He's obviously, you know, got the cred. This is a point in time when there's there's no question about Lex Luger, you know, being a star. But the whole story is he's like, I'm getting this guy is beating the hell out of me and I don't know what to do about it. And there's not enough people that know how to do that as a heel. Like they, they don't they don't transition into that or they get so used to your standard formula match that they don't ever learn how to do that. And I, I this this would be my clinic for them. It's like watch this, tell me what you see. If you say, Well, I don't see anything, I say then you aren't paying enough attention. Yeah. So this I like it once I like this match. Once the story gets rolling, I it I really like it. It's. It, I think it's a good match. Like I, it's probably one of the better Luger performances I've seen. And I, I'm not trying to sit here and like, ide- idealize like how many snowflake matches I've seen from Luger. But it's it's a good match. The, the the story it tells is actually quite good. It's a very very clever match. Like I like I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Meltzer. Rated as like 3.5 stars, and I, that's probably like about right. I probably think that that's like about where I'd put it. But it's it's a good match. It's a good match. And the other thing is the crowd is into it. Oh yeah, they are huge into it. When I said like they, that WCW didn't really actualize Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, I agree with that. Like, I don't think they really did. Like this with this was almost you could almost say this is like a star making performance for him, where it's like mm-hmm. he. He was like the maybe the up and coming babyface. It's like he didn't quite win it here, but it's like okay, maybe next time. And he, obviously, he did win the world title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I had to see like maybe the first WCW uh, African American champion. Yeah, uh, I say first because there may have been other NWA champions, but I don't NWA title is like so weird where it's like the. You could have had like someone like Bobo Brazil winning the NWA title. I mean, may not have been like the NWA title. It may have been like a regional title because they like just do weird things with the. the, the if NWA you want to read the the National Wrestling Alliance book by I think Tim Hornabaker, if you want to yeah. like get a good idea of like what the NWA was like and how you know people talk about it like it was this prestigious thing and they were just greedy the whole time and like the belt was always kind of a joke because they would always, like, split it off to make more money and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But Simmons was the first African-American, at least, uh, champion, at least uh, when it was WCW, meaning, like, it had yeah. transitioned from Jim Crocker promotions to, like, being bought by Turner. Bobo and Bearcat Wright had won the world title in um, L.A., the WWA, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I he did win it, so it's like that's better than what WWF did. Mm-hmm. He never he, he never had the world title there. He just briefly like was positioned in like the upper mid card and then got injured. And when he came back, like he basically they never used him well in my opinion. You know, they shuffled him down, and then he became basically like a just a tag team with Bradshaw and yeah. I hated yeah. the Farouk name. Ron Simmons was always a much better. 
name. Yeah, but I mean, and when he won the, t- we'll we'll talk about it because you you said you wanna you wanna go into the match. But when he won the title from Vader, like that's an amazing mo- moment. Yep, which we can talk about when we actually cover that. But I did think that they really they really could have done more with him, uh, even though he did win the title for a time. Like they could have done more with him because I think he had and he showed it here. Like he has he has good babyface energy. He was believable because he was like he's just a built dude. Yep. And even if he didn't think he was like, obviously he's not going to be like Ric Flair, like technical wonder in the ring. He could work though. He could work even if he wasn't. You could say like, well, he wasn't even Sting, like. But it's fine. Like he he could work. Like he was actually a good worker. Yeah. So you could have done more. He kind of got and, screwed as champion too because his one pay per view title defense was against the Barbarian. Yeah. He won it in a period where it's like. It's weird. Like he should. They should have done more with him. Uh, but again, like they did more with him than than WWF such WWE did because he never got the title there. Yeah. But he he's someone who should have gotten more, even though he had a world title win, and he had a good career overall. It's like he they should have done more with him. Like he he should have gotten more in the business because he actually I think had a lot of potential. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he was also really good at mentoring the other guys. You kind of already mentioned that with Mark Henry, but um, he was. D'Lo has stories about it too. So, all right. So, guys, what's our final verdict on Halloween Havoc '91? Um. So I'm gonna say mild thumbs down. Too much filler, not enough like meat on the bone. I would agree with that if uh, if I was in my personal life making for myself like a best of the 90s WCW compilation, I would probably include the main. I'd put, uh, put Tomlin and Morton on there, too. Maybe, but I, I certainly would include the main on there. Uh, but outside of maybe the light heavyweight match, like I... There isn't really like a lot that's memorable on the no. show. Outside I was of, outside of the Chamber of Horrors, which is only memorable because it's, it was just weird. Yeah. Not yeah, not memorable for the right reasons. So I, I was gonna say that I'd put thumbs in the middle, but looking back over it, on on one hand I have to say Chamber of Horrors, Creatures PN News, Jimmy Garvin, Johnny B. Bad, Oz, Bill Kazmaier. Doug Summers versus Van Hammer. Like, all of that stuff goes on one side, and that's most of the show, as opposed to watching Eaton, Terry Taylor, Austin, Dustin Rhodes, um, the, the Enforcers versus the Patriots, Pillman, Morton, and then the main. It's like there's there's so much more time that goes into the bad stuff than the good stuff. My recommendation for it is going to be just just – just pick that latter set of matches out and don't bother with the rest of it. You'll, you know, you're, you're not missing much doing that. Watch an edited version here, <laughs> edit your own version up and do it that way. Just watch the light heavyweight match in the main and you're good. Uh, I would say watching. Uh, yeah, probably as much as I like the enforcers, style and that sort of stuff there's better enforcer stuff from this time yeah can watch. yeah but it it just it just hits on the cylinders for me so 
All right. So that is Halloween Havoc 91. Um, next week, I think, is the, the Halloween movie episode. Is that right? Yeah. I don't remember what, what movie are we watching. It, it is, I believe it's from 2001, uh, called Joyride with Paul Walker, Steve Zahn, and Lily Sobieski. And so, unless we have any other thoughts, I think that's going to take us out. Um, so this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>